The In Conversation podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. podcast. Please like the podcast, podcast. and subscribe podcast. to this channel. Podcast. Thank you. Have you experienced several failed relationships or been through a divorce? How can you avoid making the same mistakes again? How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes is out now. Hi, my name is Nigel Beckles. My new book is packed with practical and common sense strategies that you can use to make better relationship choices. Now you can discover the dangerous myths about love. If your relationship expectations are realistic, why you could be falling in love for all the wrong reasons. How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes. It's a book that could change your life. Available from Amazon.co.uk. Kindle version also available. When the Mood is Right, A Poetry Journey and Mood Swings by Queen P. Available on Amazon and all good bookstores. The Royal Affair by Queen P. Dim the lights, sit back, relax, and breathe. You have entered into the Royal Affair. Queen P. Poetry Podcasts. Available now, 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 now. The Royal Affair. The very best way to promote your podcasts, Podpage makes it easy to create a podcast website with just a few clicks. Every page is optimized to be found on Google and it stays up to date forever. For more information visit podpage.com. The future of podcast promotion. Get ready for takeoff. Welcome back to my In Conversation podcast series. My special guest for this episode is a member of the legendary multi-platinum record-setting rap duo Tag Team, American D.C. Glenn. Hi, D.C. Glenn. Welcome to my podcast series. Hey, what's going on, man? Pleasure to have you here. So where are you living at the moment? Atlanta, Georgia. And did you grow up there? No, I actually grew up in Denver, Colorado. And what was your childhood like? Let me tell you something, man. When we were children, my parents worked me as hard as any parents could work a child. I, at the age of five, I'm shucking peas and stemming collard greens and prep work for my mom. For my dad, he's making me shovel snow and rake leaves. And you know, Saturdays, we had to wash windows. And you know, not only would we, you know, shovel the snow, we had a snowblower, right? And not only would we we're the only uh, the only family on the block that had a snowblower, I would get up with my brother and we would go and shovel everybody's walk and not even charge them. We just did it. And I, you know, and then, I, you know, next thing, you know, come here, boy, here, twenty dollars, twenty five dollars. This is back in the 70s. Right. <laughs> so it's like I've been making money forever since I was seven, eight years old, had a paper out. I have been working and hustling forever and I'm forever grateful because that is what has made me the man I am today. So I had an incredible childhood because my parents made me work. They showed me the value of work and I have never not known love. And it's been a beautiful thing for me all my life. I'm just very, very happy because I am a hustler and I work hard. I didn't mind because I didn't know any better. And I am so grateful because that is what created my work ethic. High school years, I met Steve, right? Um, at Manuel High School in uh, Denver, Colorado. And uh, we met in 11th grade. 
and I wanted to be in their band. They had a band, they had a real dope band. It's called the Business Band. And I also wanted to be in the choir because I heard uh, one of my mentors, Joyce Davis, down the hall. I would always hear the music. So I beat, you know, I just was just begging and begging, begging, let me in the band, let me in the choir and got in both. And that's how my musical prowess really began. And then back then, this is the beginning of hip hop. So some of my friends were DJs and I was like, ooh, I want to be a DJ. And I was just relentless in my pursuit of mastery over those things, right? And fast forward, I graduate from high school. I go to Sacramento State University in uh, California. And I learn about recording and writing lyrics because we tag team used to be the tag team crew. It was three of us. It was me, Otis P and Steve Rowland, right? But Otis P went to the service and because, you know, when you're 18, kids grow apart. It just happens. And me and Steve stayed together as tag team. So I had to start writing because I was just DJing. And I start writing and I got real good at it because I used to write in class. Right. And I started making songs. We would record songs every time I come home for spring, you know, spring break, but any break I have from college, we, we record songs. But my boy, Johnny Z, who um, he made a song called Back to the Hotel by um, In Too Deep back in the day. I taught him how to DJ and taught him how to rap. And he had bought a four track and didn't know how to use it for task and four track recorder. Right. And uh, my other partner had an 808 and he let me go come over his house and I made like 10 808 beats and put them on the four track. And then just took me about a month to complete all those songs and send them to Steve. And he thought I was in devil worship. Right. Because it was like, what is he doing? But I was just anything I could do, pots and pans, whatever. I was making sounds, everything. Right. So he loved the song and he bought a four track. So now we're back and forth sending mixtapes that we made on four track of songs. And it just got better and better and better and better. And he wanted me to, he went to the Art Institute in Atlanta and wanted me to come down and spend uh, the New Year's uh, holiday with him. And I went down and right then and there, I knew I was moving to Atlanta, Georgia. So I finished college. I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, had a job at CNN, but they took me to a club called Magic City and the DJ sucked. And I, they introduced me to the owner. I was like, you need a DJ? He's like, no, nah, I don't need a DJ. I was like, well, but come see me Monday anyway. And I went and seen him Monday. And he was like, I don't need a DJ, but you could be the backup DJ. I need a cook. Can you cook? I was like, yeah, I can cook. And I started, went upstairs, cooked like two orders of chicken wings and a salad. <laughs> and the, the, the DJ that was DJing that day, he was like, hey, man, DJ for me for a little while. I'm going to go run some errands. And I did so good that day that, they had had a meeting on that Sunday and all the girls were like, we want him. And then that's when it started. I was the head DJ of the club. And then one of the legendary DJs of Atlanta, Georgia, because I was in all the clubs back in the nineties. And because we were in the Southeast, you know, that's the land of booty shake, right? You know, up-tempo music. And we had, you know, we were hip hop, right? So it just wasn't jiving because we were in the wrong geographical area. So just went to Steve. was like, look, man, we got to make something up-tempo. And he was like, I don't know how to make that. I'm like, just think Planet Rock and Egyptian Lover. And he made the beat. I had a book of songs and I put the song, you know, whoop, there it is. It was just a song that I was working on. Finished it up, put it on that beat, used the Kano sample. And we went to the studio, recorded. Then I went to work that night at Magic City, popped a cassette in the cassette player because there weren't CDs back then. It, it was just about to be CDs. But it was just turntables and cassettes. And to this day, that is the biggest response on any record that I have ever had. I mean, like 10 people ran to the DJ booth like, what is that? 
oh my god right and after that it was just another song and then fast forward to like january this was august 92 fast forward to january 93 i stopped playing it and then one of the girls was like why don't you play whoop there it is i played it again same thing happened and a record rep named alan cole from columbia records in new york heard it he was like who is that i was like it's me man he was like man give me that i'm gonna send that to new york and then that started me trying to get a deal for tag team and man all the majors were, were were feeling it but they didn't know what to do with it and then they just it just faded and i was about to give up and a friend of mine named lisa mccall said you need to talk to al bell because he did the daisy dukes record it's another like an up-tempo record down south record that went gold and i called him and I was, you know, he called me back in about a week. I was like, Mr. Bell, you got to release our record. I've been to clubs. I've tested it. It's the greatest thing since White Bread. And he was like, okay. And I was like, you haven't even heard the record. He was like, brother, I ain't got to hear the record. I hear it in your spirit. Let's agree to agree. And I signed a jacked up record deal. And in a month and a half, we were platinum. It was, it was that fast. And traveling the world. This is a... Um, kind of uh, bought back a special memory for me sitting here with you because you're in England, right? And when we were touring in England, to this day, our single greatest performance was at Lesher Square, a club called the Hippodrome. Know it well. And we had just, we were just going out, right? And CC Peniston was uh, performing that night. We was going to go see CC, And we walked in and it was sponsored by the radio station they introduced us to the radio guys and everything and they were all happy and everything and i was like it was so much energy in there i was like steve we need to perform so i asked the, the radio pro the program director hey man if we go back to the hotel and get the dat because we used dat taste back then can we perform whoop there it is he was like hell yeah well wait i'll hold it up right because we was gonna perform and then cc was gonna perform so we go back in the little London taxi, <laughs> the little black taxi, right? <laughs> I was like, you got to hurry up, man. You can't be driving all slow. We got to go get this thing. Went and got the dat, came back. And in the Hippodrome, they take you downstairs because the platform rises up. And nobody knew that we were there. And it's packed. It's, everybody's waiting. They're thinking CeCe's coming on. And we're down in the basement. And the uh, program director introduces us. He's like, we got a special guest for you guys. And I'm not going to tell you how it, who it is, but you're going to know as soon as he says the first word. And everybody's looking like, what? And, you know, we got this build up on our introduction and we're rising up out. And I just go, party people. And the whole place exploded. Like the electricity and the energy just blew me back. And the release from the people was so incredible that to this day, that is our single greatest performance, period. Well, Womp There It Is reached number one on the Billboard Hot R&B charts in 1993, and it went to number two on the Billboard Hot 100 chart that same year. So how did it feel to have that number one hit in America? For me, I was happy, but it didn't hit me like it hits other people because I'd always been popular. I'd always been a DJ. I was always, and I watched how stars acted. I watched how stars get a hit record and treat everybody like crap. Or come in and think they're, you know, everything. And I just vowed to never act like that. So I basically stayed the same person I was and still, you know, back then that I am today. And for me, it was about putting in the work. It was about taking advantage of what we had, right? It's always about that with me. People always act like with the Geico commercial. People are like, man, are you happy with the Geico? I was like, I was happy the first two days after Geico called me. But after that, it was time to put in work, right? 
don't have time to be happy. You got to put in work to take advantage of the blessing that you have. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where most people go wrong. They want everybody else to do stuff for them. And it doesn't work out that way. People only around them because they got money or what have you. And then when all that is gone, those people are gone. So I've always been self-sufficient that way. But I was happy. Don't get me wrong. I was happy. We were going all over the world and having a good time. And it, it was what it was. And we've been having fun to this day. Well, I want to talk to you about the Geico commercial in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to ask you about the track, Womp There It Is, in terms of it achieved multi-platinum status. Now, what does that mean in terms of sales figures for a music track? So platinum is a million sales, right? So we went four times platinum. I'm trying to get certified seven times platinum now. We're in the process of doing that because it was four times platinum back in the day. So now I'm trying to get all the old records and stuff together so we can go ahead and get up and, and see where we come out. And I believe we'll come out at like 7 million records sold. And that's different than today because that was physical pieces, right? Mm. You know, today is a song in the air and how many times you, you can play it over a million times and they count those. So, you know, if I count, if I counted all the records that were wore out and all the tapes that broke, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> all the CDs that got scratched, it'd be a different game, right? It, it, we, it would be astronomical because that record was such a big hit. So that's how that worked out. Well, it certainly was a big hit. I mean, the track has also been played on dozens of movies, TV shows, advertisements. It's also widely considered one of the top songs of all time for sporting events in the USA. So how do you feel about that? And did you foresee that? I mean, you can never foresee things, but your hubris as an artist, you kind of know that, know when it's going to be big, right? And... I knew it was going to be big, and but I thought that it would fade. And every time I thought it would fade, it would resurge again. And about 2004, I knew it was in the nostalgia phase and it would last forever. I mean, it's definitely not stopping, never has stopped, and I'm very happy. Well, I understand there was a copyright dispute regarding the track back in 2012. How was that resolved? It was resolved by um, two record companies were fighting over this. Now, I could fight one record company, but I can't fight two lawyer fees. I let them, they battled it out, and one record company lost, and we all had to go to court because they were trying to take what we had already, and we prevailed. You know, it's like you win the war, but when you come home, you've lost a leg, you've lost an arm, you've lost an eye, mm. but you're still living, right? And I've always... I've always taken the approach of not being bitter. I take full responsibility for signing a, a contract that was messed up as a young man, right? There's no spilled milk, none of that. And I realized that it's up to me to hustle up what I hustle up off of Woomp There It Is because Woomp There It Is is the blessing. I still have the song. I might not get what I should get because we've been in litigation, but I still got the song so I can make money off the song. I still get a royalty check. So I concentrate, I choose to concentrate and spend my life creating new ways, innovative ways to monetize Womp There It Is, you know, and, and like you were speaking about Al is my publicist. I, I was looking for publicists through my agents as actor, as an actor, right? But the publicist was like, well, it's a Geico commercial. We don't, it's like either they didn't want to spend my money or they just thought they didn't know what to do because it's a pandemic. How are you going to promote? How are you going to do what you used to do in a pandemic? Mm -hmm. So I think it's more of that. And I was like, thank you. And I was like, but I didn't stop. I went and joined the Public Relations Society of America, 
See, when I hit a brick wall, I go join an organization because what? Organizations are filled with people who are professionals, whether they've been in the game for 30 years or 40 years or 10 years. And I jumped on the Zoom and I just started learning about PR. And I asked one of these CEOs, I was like, are press releases still relevant? Because I knew what I was doing, right? But they were like, well, what's it for? And I was like, well, I'm kind of featured in a Geico commercial called Scoop. There it is. And they were like, I'm looking at the chat. Chat's like, oh, what? Wait a minute. No, that's my favorite commercial. And then the chat just blew up because everybody recognized who I was. And then the moderator was like, DC, we'd like to welcome to uh, the society. We're going to talk to you about that Geico commercial after this. But they asked the guest, was it relevant? They were like, yeah, if you got a Geico commercial. So in in 10 minutes after, they gave me the whole PR game. Go to this site for this. Go to this site for interviews. Go to this site for that. Do this. When you pitch, do this. You can get this with this and that and that. And I knew it right then and there. And I started busting PR and never looked back. And Al hit me up because he was watching, right? He was seeing what I was doing. He was like, I would love to do your PR. And we talked and we just talked shop, right? Because I was already doing it. But then he said, I'm going to follow up with you, man. And he followed up. And I was like, how much it cost, man? What's the ticket? He said, you ain't got to sell me. What's the ticket? And he was like, okay, it's this. I was like, let's go. I hired him because I need hands. I can't do everything myself, mm-hmm. right? But he proved him. He's, he's proven himself because he's he's done things that I haven't even asked him to do. So I know he knows what he's doing and we're working really well together. And now I've got two better. You know, I've got two four hands instead of two. And that, you know, I'm building teams like with acting. I've got seven actresses that help me prepare for scripts and stuff like that. I'm building teams of people and outsourcing things so I can really become a conglomerate at just me. I don't expect people to do things for me. I will do it myself. I will put in the work myself. That goes back to my childhood Mm. where my parents made me work. I don't mind. It's nothing but work. I'm not scared of work. I relish it. I relish getting up at 4 a.m. every morning and working all the way to midnight. I relish it. I get my rest now, but I relish it because I know that I play offense and the things that I do that I'm trying to set up for me I am not doing this as a quid pro quo. If I do this, then this should happen. I don't even think like that. I just do it, throw it out in the universe. Then I look back and it's in my way. So we're about to be on Ellen. We're about to be on Good Morning America in the States. These are TV shows about to be on Kelly Clarkson's show because of my hustle. So, I mean, it's like I've been doing this nonstop, but I've been doing it all during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. See, the pandemic forced everybody to stop and reevaluate what you were doing. It's like people love to say I'm a hustler and I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a worker and you know and they're sitting in the car and they're driving and revving the engine and they look outside and it's like they're not moving. And they're not moving cuz they're stuck in mud and their wheels are spinning. And the pandemic forced everybody forced everybody to stop and reevaluate what they're doing and stop me and I was like I know what I'm doing but this is a chance to reinvent myself. And then that's when I said, what can you do right now? Because you can't do shows. We're not going to do shows for years. But I can sit right here all day and talk on this microphone, <laughs> right? I can sit here and do this all day. I could do animation. You know what I mean? I can do commercial. I could do promo this week on ABC. I could do all of that because I've been trained, right? In every acting class, every voiceover class, every improv class, I recorded. And I had them all organized. So I went back to the beginning and started over again and filled in the holes, 
strengthen my weaknesses. Because what else are you going to do in a pandemic but mm. sit around and eat and get fat? <laughs> so <laughs> that right there, 2020 is one of the greatest years of my life because I shot my first movie. I shot my second movie. I'm a spokesperson person for a grocery market chain. And I've been booking voiceover like crazy. And then here comes the Geico commercial in September of 2020. And then they drop it on Christmas. And then the rest is just, it's been bananas, just nothing but kids in front of the TV, dancing to it, parents dancing to it, old people dancing to it, dogs dance. I seen one today where a parrot was dancing to our commercial. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, how did you actually get involved in the Geico commercial? Okay, so another form of the hustle. Back in 2012, everybody thought, President Barack Obama was in our video, right? So it's just hilarious. They thought he was in our video and nobody could find me to interview. I was at the club DJing and they were like, DC, this lady wants to talk to you from the New York Times and she is not going to get off the phone. I was like, New York Times? Let me go holler at her. I said, call me tomorrow morning. She's like, I got to talk to you. I said, call me tomorrow morning. And she told me that everybody, Gawker had put out an article that Barack Obama was in our video and it blew up and nobody could find me. And I vowed that that would never happen again because we lost money. We could have been doing shows. We could have been doing all kinds of stuff. If I had a website up that everybody knew how to get in touch with me, it could have turned into gold. And I spent the last eight years learning search engine optimization, how to build websites, how Google works, how YouTube works, how social media works, and got a severe mastery over it. Because eight years ago, you type in tag team, nothing but wrestling came up. You type in tag team today, nothing but tag team comes up because I do search engine optimization, which leads me to fast forward that Geico, we have our number. I have a number uh tag team. That's the tag team phone right here. Tag team phone. And it's on the website and I answer it, but I didn't answer it that day. Geico called, right? They had got my number from the website. Then they're like, well, where else can we find them? They found them on IMDB, which is the actor's portal. And they found my agent. They call my agent. My agent calls me and says, hey, DC, Geico booked you. I'm like, wait a minute. I didn't audition for Geico. And I was like, wait a minute. This is for tag team Geico. I let my agent for acting make the deal because they do commercials and all that. So it was just the perfect synergy. And we made the deal. And then I started training for the commercial because I'm an actor. I'm developing mastery. I've been acting three years. And I was trained to prepare. I could have just, most people just walk in and do what the director says, but I'm not going to go to prepare because I had booked the National Pizza Hut commercial before the pandemic for March Madness, but I shut down. But I got, I, I got booked and I was happy because they picked me, right? That's what it's all about being an actor. You know, I prepared. I said, I need about five or six things that I want to do. That's where the spin and scoop came from. That's where the sprinkles comes from. That's where the dance comes from. And we had a production meeting the night before. And I just asked her, I was like, hey, man, I got some ideas. Like, whatever you want to do, D.C., because they were just happy we, we just did we did it, right? And I said, well, I, I tried to find a fabricator to make a spinning scoop. I was going to have him, you know, but I couldn't find anybody to do it. And he was like, it'll be done tomorrow. I was like, what? Like, it'll be done tomorrow. I was like, wow. And to their credit, they did everything I wanted to do. And those are the special nuances that make that commercial a special commercial and a hit. You know what I'm saying? It's a hit record in just a different form. Right now with the pandemic and how everybody is stressed out and everybody, we're all in the same boat. It is truly the Serengeti out here, right? 
<laughs> I mean, we're all we are all cavemen right now, right? We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to, you know, we're trying to keep our mental in check. We're trying to do things that, you know, we do to survive. I get email after email after email, post after post after post. Thank you for bringing so much joy mm-hmm. in my life and happiness through this commercial. I get up and dance this every time it comes on. I smile every time I see it. I laugh every time they play it. And the joy it has bought me, I salute you guys for making such a great record. And you ask me how I feel, I think this is the this is the best I've felt ever. Because if it stopped right now, we have the perfect career. Because we started strong and we ended strong. Nobody cares about the middle. It's like, what did they end? They, we ended, you know, most people fade and you never hear from them again. This right here solidified us as one of the great duos in the history of recorded music. I don't know what level we're on, but I know that with me hustling and just doing the PR and just putting in the work, this is an opportunity to expand my brand as an actor, as a voice. I just booked a TV show. I booked a Tyler Perry TV show a couple weeks ago. Now I'm booking and they don't, I don't even think they know it's me. I'm booking just on my work ethic and what I bought to the game. So the icing on the cake is when they be like, wait a minute, you look, no. Like, yep. <laughs> and, it, and that's the icing on the cake. Then people, people are pleasantly surprised and happy because I didn't act. I didn't try to get in on that. I got in on the strength of my acting or the strength of this voice, having mastery over my voice. That's what reinvention does for you. And, you know, I'm here to tell everybody, I, I just, I'm trying to touch the world in ways that, you know, that's, that's my favorite thing to do. I know that people love to listen to me. So I'm a motivational speaker. They're pitching me for cooking shows. They're pitching me for talk shows. They're pitching me for everything. I've got so many deals on the table. And because I have so many deals on the table, this is just a roundabout way with a Geico commercial to test new frontiers. I have meetings with Nielsen. Nielsen is the big uh, conglomerate that they do data for television commercials. iSpot TV does data for television commercials. DC, why are you having meetings with them? Because... When I'm in a deal and they're asking, why should we use you? I could take a folder, slap it on the table, said, this is why. This is my value. This is my value proposition. Because I was in this Geico commercial. It did this, 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 and this. These are the numbers. This is the, the happy index. This is the feel-good index. This is the remember, memorable di- index. This is the nostalgia index. This is how many times it was played. This is how many conversions it have from other people's insurance to this insurance. So pay me and quit tripping right now i don't know any other artists that would do anything like that and i've got companies looking at me like wow he's doing this you know geico's looking at me like he's different the martin agency who does the geico commercials looking at me like we're about to introduce him to all our brands right and because i have i've done this work i'm about to be introduced to pepsi coca-cola jordash pringles oreos i'm about to introduce to all these companies as possibly their voiceover spokesperson or possibly their acting voice, the fatherly figure. I wanted to ask you about the acting. How did you get involved in acting? I found a coach in Atlanta for voiceover and we were training, practicing, because I was working for Apple, doing voiceover for Apple Radio. And she was like, you need go see the People Store agency. They're the biggest agency in the Southeast, talent agency in the Southeast. They need an African-American voice artist. And they just loved my demo. And they were like, you're on our roster. It's amazing because I was on the roster for voiceover. And I went in, met everybody and met the, um, 
this is about maybe a couple months later after I started getting auditions, met the owner the second time I went up there. And she looked at me and she was like, I love your face. Put him on camera. I started getting auditions. I was like, what I got to do? She's like, well, you got to get take headshots. You have to go to acting class. You have to fill out these portal. They gave me everything I had to do. I did it. And then once I started going to class, then I got hooked. And I started, like, I would love to come to England and classically trained i want to be a classically trained actor you know what i mean i want to i want to go to australian train i want to i want mastery over this because it's hard people do not realize how difficult it is voiceover as well and now i'm getting really good at it it was just they've been i've been doing i've been auditioning like crazy i booked maybe my first commercials for a barbecue company maybe two months in so i'm doing like a lot of local stuff regional stuff but the big national stuff, that's just now starting. But there's people that have been in the game for 10 years that <laughs> haven't done anything, right? So I feel fortunate, and I've gotten it on my own because most of the people don't even know who I am. They don't know I'm DC from Tag Team. Whoop, there it is. They know me as DC Glenn, the actor. And that's what I love more than anything because I earned it. And when you earn something, it means so much more. It means so much more to you. And I think people appreciate it as 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 well more. So that is my journey. I'm I'm acting. And then when you break off in all those little different pieces, you got commercials. That's part of acting. But then you have uh movies and television. You have you have all these things, right? But I haven't forgot about music. See, I'm training now. I'm I've never stopped creating, but I stop making music and now the technology has to meet my creativity. So I've got five tutors teaching me music theory, music production, and I'm getting up to speed to make songs again. Because if I'm in, if I'm auditioning for a Christmas movie in July, I can also submit a Christmas song in July to be in that movie. If I'm the spokesperson for a brand, I can make a jingle for that brand. Who does that, right? If I'm in a TV show and I know six months ahead of time, I can make a theme song for that TV show, right? So... That's how I can still make music, still have fun, but not have to be an artist, you know? Because if I jump out there like, I'm putting out a new record, and I'll be like, everybody's going to be like, DC needs to sit his old ass down, right? <laughs> but if I do it this way, everybody likes the song, and they're like, who did that? No! There's a different reaction. And, you know, that's where I'm at, and that's mm-hmm. what I wake up every day and strive for is the mastery of all the things that I love to do. And that's music production, acting, and voiceover. Well, you're certainly a busy man. So, DC, how can people contact you? All right, so that goes back to the SEO. All you have to do is type in DC Glenn, you'll find me. I'm everywhere. <laughs> I mean, Sarah, you type in DC Glenn, you're going to find all my profiles. You're going to find my acting sites. You're going to find everything. DC Glenn of the legendary tag team. Thank you very much for your time. Much appreciated. You got it, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe. Another In Conversation podcast coming soon.